0: This podcast examines issues on violence driven by gender inequality, a profound and widespread global health problem that is likely to have personally touched the lives of our listeners. Listen with care and compassion, and please talk to someone should anything come up for you while listening to this episode. For more resources, email svri at
1: svri.org. It's our agenda and it's about collaboration. It's about building trust.
2: We've seen, you know, the women's movements really driving this agenda and it's really inspiring. You're listening to the Sexual
0: Violence Research Podcast from the SVRI. I'm Elizabeth Dartnell, And I am
3: Angelica Vino. Our vision is to see a world free of violence against women and violence against children. And in this podcast, we learn how to make that vision a reality.
0: In today's episode we're exploring the need for more focused research into violence prevention and the creation of the world's first global shared research agenda
4: wellspring philanthropic fund is a private human rights foundation and have been in this space for about 20 years for me, this is very exciting because this is some of the most long standing work that we've been doing um, around preventing gender based violence or intimate partner violence. So I'm excited to be representing it and talking about it today.
3: That is Tesmerelna Atsbeha, a senior program officer on the women's rights team at the World Spring Philanthropic Fund, who we will be meeting shortly. We are also going to hear from Tina Musuya. Executive Director of the Centre for Domestic Violence Prevention in Uganda.
1: We are a feminist organisation whose role is to prevent violence against women. And for us here, we believe in gender transformative programming and working across the whole society approach, bringing in feminist principles.
0: And we'll also introduce you to Emma Fulu, Founder and Executive Director of the Equality Institute.
2: The Equality Institute is a global feminist organization working to advance gender equality and end violence against women and girls. And we work across research, strategic policy and creative communications to try and create a world where diversity is celebrated, all people are respected and power and resources are shared equally. But first, an introduction to the Global Shared Research Agenda.
3: So the Global Shared Research Agenda has been put together by the SVRI and Equality Institute, with support from funding partners, World Spring Philanthropic Fund and SIDA. It is the result of two years of evidence informed dialogues and discussion. It has set research priorities for the next five years for fair, effective and relevant research on violence against women in low and middle income countries. This is critical because funding for research in this field is often misdirected as Emma explains.
2: I think it's sometimes misdirected because, you know, we don't always all communicate with each other. Um, There's so many different groups trying to fund research, whether that's, you know, countries or universities or research institutions or donors, that sometimes there's, I guess, a um, reinventing of the wheel or groups doing research that has already been done before or research not being directed where the greatest need is. And obviously resources are limited and so it's so important that we really carefully direct those resources to where they're most needed to advance the agenda. This
0: really is a groundbreaking piece of work. With the global shared research agenda, we are challenging the old way of doing things. For too long, we've seen research agendas set by people far removed from the communities for whom the research is meant to serve. This is the first time the voices of practitioners, researchers and activists have sat centred and equal alongside academics and other specialists in the field.
1: Setting the research agenda together and having, uh, I would call it, It was a feminist space because everyone's voice was being heard and the decisions were collectively being made. It was removing that tension because if I use my own example, in the past, researchers set their agenda and for us practitioners were quite busy working and the researchers come to decide for practitioners and we were feeling like there's tension because whose agenda were they taking forward? But now this, this initiative is helping all of us not to have that difficult question of whose agenda. It's our agenda and it's about collaboration. It's about building trust.
0: It's great to hear Tina's passion for the Global Shared Research Agenda and Emma feels strongly about the agenda too.
2: I think it really gives us a clear roadmap that's informed by the realities on the ground. It gives us greater buy-in from all of the stakeholders who really need to be behind a research agenda like this. I think it's also going to help us disrupt some of the inequalities and unequal power dynamics in the research field that we've seen historically, where certain types of research, I guess, have been prioritised over others. And I think this new agenda really helps us to think about how we can disrupt that and decolonize research practices so that we value you know, qualitative research as well, we value, value practice-based learning, we value feminist research methods, uh, Indigenous knowledge systems and others. So I think it really brings a, a sort of equality back to this space and hopefully starts to level the playing field and I guess recenter and elevate the voices of those who have historically been more marginalised in the academic and research space. And I think that's really powerful.
3: The Global Shared Research Agenda has identified the top research priorities in the field, which Emma will highlight a little later. But it is important to restate that this list was created by crowdsourcing multiple opinions. We made sure we gave a platform to a diversity of voices. Those working at the front line of violence prevention, survivors, people who live and breathe this work. Our
1: experience has shown us that if we work in silos, we are stagnating and maybe even retrogressing. So when we collectively make decisions and define the agenda, it is reassuring because there is solidarity, there is um we are learning from each other, and then we feel that we are living to the principle of leave no one behind. If we do not all come together to define the agenda, then we are leaving so many others behind and Then the thing is we shall keep asking ourselves whose voice is being heard, and this is a time where we are at that we need to reduce. Who is setting the agenda and where are those other divides? And being a feminist, it's about breaking those hierarchies of who is deciding and then others are just obeying. We are at that point where we are deciding together and letting every key actor lead what they are best at. And also we listen to them. I think that's where we shall really make impactful change.
0: Yes it's been a massive but hugely worthwhile undertaking and our hope is that it will transform the field of research in the prevention of violence against women we also hope it will empower new feminist social movements the likes of hashtag #me too and ni una menos by giving them more knowledge and a stronger focus Tesma says this is critical
4: one key part of a robust movement or a movement that's really connecting the ideology to policy change and to structural change is the ability to generate knowledge and then have it be applied and also to have that knowledge be accessible to those who are on the front lines or working in grassroots settings, um, you know, in communities. And so that there isn't these, you know, ivory towers of knowledge that is not helpful for movements. That is not a positive kind of sign that a movement is, is connected or that the movement has the ability to build power if there's not that connection, that connective tissue with the knowledge generation work and also breaking down those barriers of like who is who is a researcher and who has the right or who has the privilege of, of building knowledge and having it be called knowledge.
0: Let's hear more from our guests now, starting with Emma Fulu. Emma explains the positive changes she's seen over the years.
2: Yes, I've seen lots of positive changes. I think sometimes it can feel like working in this field that we're not making progress or progress is too slow. But actually, when you look back, I think you can see that actually we've made a huge amount of progress over the last 20 years Violence against women is on the international agenda like it never has been before. We have specific targets under the Sustainable Development Goals agenda to end violence against women and girls. Um, I think we've got a stronger evidence base than we have had before with, you know, global, regional and national prevalence rates. Um, And I think we've proven that violence against women is actually preventable. You know, we've seen community programs that have drastically reduced rates of violence in relatively short periods of time. And so we've seen great success and we've seen, you know, the women's movements really driving this agenda and um, working tirelessly, I think, to create this change. So it's really inspiring. There is so much to celebrate, I agree. And based on our work on
0: identifying gaps in the field, what are some of the gaps are still in the violence against women research field that have been highlighted through this process?
2: Yeah, I think there's, I mean, it's interesting the agenda highlights both what we know and also what we don't know. The research agenda has really highlighted that we need to look at what types of interventions can effectively prevent multiple forms of violence. So not just intimate partner violence, but also non-partner sexual violence, for example. And also what types of interventions are effective for groups of people who have experienced multiple forms of discrimination. So they might be experiencing, for example, gender inequality, but also other forms of discrimination and oppression based on age or poverty or disability or ethnicity. I think the other really interesting area that came out in the research agenda is around how New feminist social movements and also men in a social movements are both positively and negatively influencing different sort of social and policy perspectives related to violence against women. And I guess lastly, one of the big areas I think that's coming out relates to sort of under-research forms of intimate partner violence. So we've, we know a lot about physical violence, for example, and sexual violence, but we know much less about emotional violence, economic violence, coercive control, revenge porn, etc. So those are some priority areas that the research agenda has really highlighted.
3: I wanted to ask you, Emma, how do you think researchers can use the global research agenda in very practical ways?
2: Yeah, we hope that researchers will really use um, the Global Shared Research Agenda to inform their own research programs, everything from their grant applications to thinking about PhD and master's students' um, research priorities and decision-making. We also really want to acknowledge that the Global Shared Research Agenda is global and so it is at a high level um, to some degree. And so we really encourage researchers and others to think about how they can adapt it for their own context. Um, That might be at a regional context or a country level, or even for certain communities, for example, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities might look at adapting it to particularly get to the nuance and detail of what's needed in their own communities. And we really encourage people to to kind of see this as a living document and and an evolving agenda and that it really has to be used to be useful. And whether that means that we spread it through universities or we work with emerging young researchers and how they can use it in their own studies, I think that's going to be the next step for us is to really, this is really just the starting point because the next part is to really think about how we can disseminate this and how we can communicate it effectively to different groups and make sure that it's really taken up um, across the world because we think it's so important. Emma, for too long, research agendas
0: have been set by too few, often the loudest, most senior in the room. How do you think the global shared research agenda is different and what, in summary, is it seeking to do?
2: I think the process of developing the global shared research agenda has been as important as the outcome. And by that, I mean that the process of really trying to engage with a diverse group of people and listen to, as you said, the voices who have historically been silenced or marginalised and try and create spaces for those voices to be heard has been really, really important. And obviously that has taken time and it hasn't been an easy process and I think that can continue to be improved. But that process, I think, has really shown, I think, a new way that research agendas can be set. And I hope that it informs the way that research agendas are set in the future and that we continue to make significant efforts to decolonize the way we think about research, research practices and processes, because ultimately research agendas and research has to serve the communities that it's designed um, to impact. I hope that this research agenda not only is known for delivering a really robust and rigorous evidence base that we can all use to advance our work in ending violence against women, but that it's known and respected for the process and the community that was built through that process.
3: Next, let's hear from Tina Musuya, who can tell us about one of the Center for Domestic Violence Prevention's projects, Sasa, which has clearly demonstrated that violence against women can be prevented through social norms change.
1: When I speak about Sasa, I smile because Sasa and and I, we are part, we are two, have been part from the development of Sasa to implementation and, you know, scaling it up, have been part of that process. So Sasa is this approach that is an activist tool for practitioners that guides them to prevent violence against women and HIV and AIDS. And it takes on this process of change through, of course, using the language of power, you know, helping people to understand what power over is, how is it that men's power over women can be addressed so that there's more equitable relationships, and also working with the communities to go beyond awareness. And I will just put it like this. SASA is an acronym, Start Awareness, Support, and Action. Those are the phases of community mobilization. And also Sasa means now in Swahili is the time to prevent violence against women. So this Sasa process is giving practitioners guidance to work across the ecological model to really create that transformation. And the start phase is really about looking in as practitioners who are doing this work or the activists out in the community. First, the change must begin with them before they take it out to the rest of the the community. Then the the awareness phase is really about supporting the community to be aware about what violence against women is, the root cause, how uh, the benefits of prevention and consequences, and, you know, getting them to that critical thinking place where they are really uncomfortable about the status quo. And then we do not stop there in Sasa because we know people must be supported to act on their awareness. So the support phase is really about getting, for example, partners to learn how to balance power in that relationship and believe in it and practice it every day and how to treat each other equally in that relationship. And it's also about supporting the ones who are standing up to prevent violence because everyone needs a supportive environment for moving on and and mentor to get the necessary skills and then it's also about holding the perpetrators of violence accountable and the institutions that are responding accountable to focusing on supporting the, the the survivors. And finally, action phase is really about, you know, in support phase, people are joining their power with others and creating like this huge critical mass that is thinking in a similar way, acting in a similar way, and because they've tried out what works, then in the action phase, they are consolidating those actions and they are coming up with their own codes of conduct. In, in, if it's a community, it's new norms that are more equitable. At a house relationship level, people have what we call simple basic relationship codes and mechanisms to enforce that change. And also broadly at the community level, there's like whole action all over the place and so there things to sustain that.
3: The work of uh, your organization so, sounds so interesting and it's, and it's so much actually. Do you think the attitudes and behavior towards women is changing in Uganda and in the continent?
1: Yes, that's, that's a very quick, good question because already our field of violence prevention is growing. And if I'm to use my example of our work, Sasa and Serovib's work, in the communities where we have worked, we've seen a lot of change whereby communities have come up to make changes. First of all, to break the tolerance to violence, that's extremely important because that's now creating new norms that do not tolerate violence. That's one change. The second one is around communities speaking out and also supporting non-violence relationships. And in this, we saw in our work, of the SASA study, we reduced physical violence by 52%. That was awesome. And then in my country, Uganda, because there's like all this um, males' sexual privilege and it's a highly polygamous community, having women be able to say no to sex and negotiate for safe sex within their own relationships was also another big change. Because in my country, HIV is still a big problem. So if women can be in control of their bodies and the men are supportive of that, that is also another very important achievement and then of course seeing that the community is supportive of laws because along the way violence in my country has been outlawed and there's more acceptability especially within the communities where we have worked for enforcement of that law because when they see forms of violence they recognize that those are offenses and therefore it must be stopped so the law helps to sustain these changes.
0: And here's Tez Morelna-Adsbaha from Wellspring Philanthropic Fund again, who says, from a funder's perspective, the global shared research agenda is a game changer.
4: It's really useful and essential because I think it gives a sense of without having to spend the time and energy, which most funders don't have the bandwidth of talking to everyone to get a sense from everyone and then having to make sense of it yourself of like, well, so-and-so saying this is important. So-and-so saying this is important, Mm -hmm. but this kind of gives you a sense of like, this is what the community is bringing up and the community is putting forward as being the priorities and then being able to fund that and to support that versus having to be kind of the arbiter or the, you know, we, joke around it, well, spring, the queen maker, because it's a very, very women-led field. <laughs> and that I think is, for me, is is really important because I want to be able to shift the power away from the donor making this sort of ultimate decisions and really bring it closer to to the community and closer to folks in the field. The other reason, I mean, there's so many reasons. I think, <laughs> I think getting other funders on board, I think is really important. And this can really be a tool to help particularly new funders to understand our field better and to deepen knowledge of the evidence that we have. And it is a, it's a steep learning curve. And I've, I've realized this going into my sixth year of supporting this work. It's t- I think it took me probably two to three years to really understand all of the aspects of you know, sides and and pieces and um, parts of the, the sort of subsections of the, the field and particularly of the knowledge building or knowledge generation work. And I think that's that's because of its depth and richness, but it's also becomes a barrier often, I think, for um, particularly funders to understand what's being presented to them, if they're having proposals presented to them. And so then that makes it harder to support work that may seem less traditional or conventional or coming from partners who maybe don't have the longstanding um, track record of doing research. And so then that oftentimes leads to folks uh, making more conservative choices and funding the same groups over and over to do work. And so this is a way of kind of backing up some of that knowledge building, like you can understand sort of what these themes are through the the agenda and understand sort of how they're being ranked or rated or, you know, how much support they're being brought forth. And then you can, it gives you some ways to learn more about, okay, if this theme is coming up, let me see what specific um, work has been done around this. And then I can have a better context for, for when I'm having this conversation about this proposed piece of work. So I think this is beneficial both for, for funders, but then also for emerging researchers in the field. And this is something that I know I've had many conversations with you, Liz, about when we re- review proposals and you realize that folks might not be aware of all the, the work that's happened in the field or all of the, the previous studies that have been done And it's really because it is difficult, you know, it is somewhat of a privilege to be able to have maybe the access, uh, the orientation to it, or someone to give you the overall synthesis of what exists and, and, you know, all the pieces. And so this is another way of trying to equal the playing field.
3: How do you think this agenda will reshape the research field
4: Aspirationally, um, my hope is that it will transform the field into a much more vibrant and connected field, both to activism and what, you know, sort of realizing the rights or making into reality these changes and the prevention of violence against women and girls. Also bringing new and existing partners that maybe don't have recognition into the field and recognized as knowledge builders or knowledge generators. And I think that expansion of that, expanding the definition, but are actually bringing folks in to be part of the community or the field together so that like more folks are working together to understand this problem or this issue, and then looking at um, you know looking at what we know, or looking at approaches to prevention that actually reflect the contexts that people are living in and that women and girls are living in, so that we have more to work with, so that we have more to support us to do this programming and this prevention work. I also think that it's an entry point. I think for deeper conversation with partner, maybe some of our more traditional research partners to be in conversation with folks that they might not be in conversation with in the way that they have set up their institution. So if, you know, if it's a global North-based university, they may do it out of some good practice, um, some like consultation work, but this is, this isn't like you're consulting and then deciding whether or not you want to use what what this other partner has said. This is like your vote or your what you think is important has the same weight as this other partner. And that it has a democratizing sort of effect. So that it's not that because you're in a Global North institution, that what you think is important is given more weight than partners who are in the field doing work and may have different perspectives.
3: So, Are our guests optimistic about the future?
1: I'm very optimistic because over the years, I've been doing this work for almost 17 years. It's a long time. Mm -hmm. And, And we are now clear to even put fingers to this is a program that is working and this research has shown us. And because we are all getting together, this collective, researchers, practitioners, donors, and all the other key actors to say, what is it that we can do together? How do we move on from here? For me, I think we are in the right direction. And we are collectively calling towards donors to fund transformative work. And we, we now know what kind of research is most useful in this field. Feminist research, for example. Intervention still have to take on a feminist um, approach. And then also funding has to take on a feminist approach because that is what is transformative. And that's what is really changing this world.
4: I feel like this year, particularly, I'm sort of consistently amazed or consistently (laughs) kind of inspired by the energy that folks are bringing. It's almost like, there's an invigoration or reinvigoration that's happening last year and even continuing to this year. We've just been through so much. And this has maybe brought us to a point where we see with clearer eyes um, how this basically parallel pandemic of, of violence is impacting, you know, us and communities. I think it's also this change in the field of it's not just that okay we are advancing and we are progressing towards a goal i think it's it's really that expanding and acknowledging that this work is not sort of a narrow public health issue or a narrow human rights issue that this is much deeper analysis that that we're having kind of bringing in all of these different aspects which really reflect a woman or a person's life, right? That nobody lives like a single issue life. And this is something I think we're seeing in the field and and particularly, you know, where this issue has shown up in movement spaces. And when you have like niuno Menos in Latin America, um, and this connection between violence and access to abortion and the connection, you know, with Me Too, and the connection with Black Lives Matter and looking at non-carceral solutions and looking at, you know, violences that are happening to the land within climate justice movements and connecting that with violences happening to people's bodies and particularly to women from marginalized communities' bodies. So it's like, to me, this is all being woven together. And this is sort of a moment that we're in where there's a sense of, for me, there's a real sense of possibility of of how much we can see that this issue is is really like a key to opening up you know, the prevention of violence against women is a key to opening up so many channels for bringing ourselves to be in into a better balance
0: thanks to our guests emma Fulu, tina Masia, and Tez mariana atzbeher for joining us on the podcast i'm elizabeth dartnell
3: and i am angelica Gapino. you have been listening to the sexual violence research podcast by the SBRI. to find out more about our vision visit
0: sbri.org. To free the world of violence against women and violence against children, we need everyone to hear our message. So please subscribe, like, and review us on Apple Podcasts and share this episode far and wide.
3: Thanks for listening, and we will
2: see you for episode four. This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk.